0: that are in person, some of you I know joining online, and as we take the next few minutes to continue our journey through the book of Numbers, I want to invite you to pray one more time with me. I know that uh, many of you, some of you, maybe uh, all of you, I don't know, maybe you've had a tough week, it's hard to come in here and shut things off, right, To, to, to sort of devote our attention to the Lord, but probably we shouldn't shut things off. To devote our attention to the Lord, but bring those things to our attention to the Lord, right? It's not pretend things don't exist, and let's be in a bubble for the next 40 minutes, but let's allow God's Word to press into all the things of our, of our lives, but we need to make sure that we put our attention on Him, and I need that prayer as well, so would you join me to do that? Father, we're thankful that we have Your Word to look to as we open it, and we can trust that You do speak And we don't have to wait for a vision or a dream or a nudge, but uh, that as we look to the Bible, uh, you communicate to us uh, as you have throughout the ages, through your prophets and through your apostles. And as we do that now, Father, we ask that you would allow our attention to be set on you. May we gain from this truly. And the proof of that, Father, would be how we live our lives as a result of our time here. And um, fill me with your Spirit, Father. I ask, so that uh, I can do this faithfully. May we all respond faithfully, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Would you turn with me to the book of Numbers, fourth book in the Bible? And as you turn to the book of Numbers, you're looking for chapter thirty, nearing the end. Uh, But we do, we have been sort of taking our time, we'll take a small chunk today, and we need to remind ourselves what's going on in the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers is about a journey, both literally and figuratively. The literal journey is the people of Israel that have uh, been brought out of the land of Egypt, they're marching to the land of promise, but they're not there yet, so they're not where they were, but they're not yet where they're going to be. Isn't that you? Yes, <laughs> that's that's us, and the picture that God is providing—that figurative uh, meaning, no less real—is that God has rescued us out of where we were. He's pulled us out of darkness. He's pulled us out of bondage, but we're not home yet. And if you feel like the Christian life is a struggle. Yes, that is, not, that is not supposed to be a surprise. In fact, if somebody's a Christian and they don't feel like it's a struggle, they're probably still back in Egypt chomping on grapes or whatever it was back there, right? The journey is difficult. And so the book of Numbers, like the rest of the Bible, is there to equip us to get through this wilderness time. And the principle that we see here is this back and forth. There's this back and forth with God and his people. He saves them. They rebel. He, he you know, chastises them. They repent. They come back, and they're getting ready to march into the land. Oops, they rebel again, right? So by the time you get to this chapter, there's a lot of that back and forth. Oops, happening again. So God deals with a lot of the rebellion, teaches them to obey, gets rid of a lot of the rebels by this point. And then we have a couple chapters, remember, chock full of the offerings before they start conquering. And the reason why God does that is because he's communicating you're not ready to conquer if you're not ready to be consecrated. Right, you're not ready for war if you're not ready for worship. And some of us we just want to get going in the Christian life, but you know, if somebody asks you, "Hey, do you spend time reading God's word?" No, but I'm more than a conqueror." Are you though? You know, the basic habits of what it makes what it takes to be a Christian. And what a Christian actually does, these things we need to continue to grow in, or we're not ready for the big stuff. So, God wants to get them ready for all that He has for them. And so, He lays out these offerings. And we realized last week that these offerings are based on the sacrifice that represents Christ's atonement for us. So, we live a Christ centered life. This is a Christ centered journey. And the reason why we can even be on this journey. And be conquerors is because Christ conquered, but it still demands things of us. And in chapter 30, before he moves on to the rest of the journey, one more item he wants to square away with them is be a promise keeper. Be a promise keeper. This is why it's great to preach through a book, because I don't know if I would have thought to myself in my own study, you know what we need this week? Promise keeping. I don't think of CFC like, we got a bunch of liars. I said I'd do this, and then they don't do it. I'm going to preach this, and I'm preaching it because it's here, right? And God put it here for a reason, knowing that we would follow God, and God is a promise maker and promise keeper, and if you're going to reflect me and image me, you've got to be like that too. And if you're not, you're not ready for this journey. That's what he's communicating. Take a look at just the first two verses of chapter 30. Uh, Through all these sacrifices, all of these bulls and rams and goats and lambs, they're going to do those on a regular basis, reminding them that God has made promises to them, that He's going to keep promises toward them. And then look, verse 1, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, this is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge... He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. I think there's kind of two levels going on here. When you say something, you're going to do something. You should do it. Because if you don't, it diminishes the reliability of your word, right? There's another layer to it where there's an official word. You might say. Hey, I'm going to go to the bank, and I'm going to swing by Jewel and pick up this stuff. And then you come home, and you only went to the bank. And they're like, what about Jewel? Oh, I ran out of time. Typically, you're not received like, you liar. You said you were going to do Jewel. You know, I mean, the kids do that to us all the time. But we we grow up when we realize some things are out of our hands. It was traffic. I meant to. Good intentions. But there are times where it is vowed. It's an oath. And so you see the weighty difference between saying I do at the altar to your bride and saying I think I'm going to swing by a Jewel." jewel. We instinctively know there's a difference there. The difference is one is a vow. The difference is one is a vow. Now it doesn't matter. If you constantly say I'm going to go run these errands and you never do those errands, there is an attrition of trust there even though you didn't vow it. But if you make a vow and break those vows, what God is saying is you are not reflecting me because I don't break my vows. That's why that last line says that the person who makes the vow shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And what I'm saying is that vows are a big deal. Making promises to God, mainly, is a big deal because God keeps his promises. So God takes our promises seriously. I want you to notice that the reason why it's, uh, we're bound to our vows is not because the Lord commanded the vow. Look at verse 1. This is what the Lord has commanded, and then what follows is not, you shall make vows. That, well, so what has the Lord commanded? What the Lord has commanded is, if you decide to make a vow to the Lord, you keep it. So God is not mandating vows. Oftentimes what we see in Scripture is there are things that Israel already does, culturally speaking. And then God limits it and puts cautions around it and guardrails. And he says, well, if you're going to do that as my people, you're going to do it this way. Never do do we see in Scripture God commanding a vow. The command is if you make a vow, you keep it. Why? Because that's what I'm like. Because that's what I'm like. It's binding, not because God told you to make a vow. It's binding because if you make a vow, you keep it because God is a vow keeper. God keeps His word. Let's look at a couple passages really quickly. we put them on the screen for you. Titus 1-2. These are familiar to some of you, but Paul is talking about the hope of this eternal life. And this eternal life is something that has been promised before the ages. That's where we get that from, the song that we sang a few minutes ago. But how do we know that promise that he made before the ages began is a real hope and not a wishy-washy hope? Like, I hope it stops raining. This is a different kind of hope, a sure hope. Because God promised it. And how do we know we can trust God's promises? Because God never lies. That's why. Hebrews 6.18 The author of Hebrews is talking about God's guaranteeing his promise, and he guaranteed his promise with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. If God doesn't keep his promises, we don't have hope. We just have wishful thinking. But because God keeps his promises, we have this truth. One more verse won't be on the screen because I want you to turn to it. Just flip back to Numbers 23. You remember when we were in Numbers 23 because it was that crazy story with Balaam and Balak trying to curse Israel. And Balaam is trying to tell Balak, I can't curse Israel because God won't do it. And the reason why God won't do it is because God already promised blessing and God will not go back on his word. And you see that in chapter 23, verse 19. He tells Balak, listen to this, listen to me. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he w- and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God never says I'm going to make this errand and then oops, traffic. I mean, he's over all things. He's not like man, he doesn't have those limitations. God says something, and he does it. And what is the promise that he's speaking of there? The promise he's speaking of there is blessing Israel. He's going to bless Israel. He's going to bless his people. This extends to all of us who have been grafted into this promise. God keeps his promise of eternal life to us in Christ because it's based on his faithfulness. That's why I say when he tells Moses to tell the people That a man who makes a vow needs to do it because he needs to do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth, it's because God does all that proceeds out of his mouth. All over Scripture, even throughout Numbers, you may have even seen it. That God tells Moses to do something, and the text says, and they did as God said to do. Over and over, it's like a punctuation throughout Numbers and the Bible. God says it, it happens. Why did it happen? Because God said it. He spoke the world into existence, What he says happens. What he says he'll do, he will do. And these two short verses press us to match our truthfulness with God's. It might be culturally okay to kind of go back on your word. You know I didn't really mean it. But as Christians, we image this God who is truthful. And he doesn't say things that he doesn't mean to carry out. Some of us, our problem isn't that we're liars. In other words, I'm going to say this, but I know I don't mean it. We think we mean it, but we say it before thinking it through. We do this with our kids. If you don't, one more time, I'm going to pull over. Have you ever actually pulled over? What is that? If you do it one more time, I'm going to pull over. One more time, we're going to go to the bathroom. You don't know where the bathroom is. You're in the mall. That's like... The bathroom's on the whole other side. It's by, I'm not going over there. You, know, you meant it when you said it, maybe, but when it really comes down to it, you can't carry it out. This is why the Bible talks about rash vows. So the Bible doesn't say never make a vow. In various places, it does say don't make a rash vow. Why? Because once you make a vow, you better keep it. Now I know saying I'm going to pull over is not a vow. Like I said, there's levels to this. This is speaking about official vows, official oaths. But if you make one, you need to keep it. Why? Because there's an underlying principle of truthfulness at play. There's an underlying principle of truthfulness at play. Quickly, when I saw this, and we're going to spend most of our time on these first two verses, the rest of the verses uh, in this chapter are are, uh, applying it, and we're going to get to it. But the anchor is these first two verses. If we don't get these first two verses, it doesn't matter how we apply it. We, we need to get the principle. And the easy question would be, didn't Jesus reverse this and say, don't make oaths? Don't ever take an oath. Right? Matthew 5, remember, he's like, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And in that lineup of things, he says, don't, don't swear by anything. Don't, don't swear by the chair, by this. You're, you're, my grandmama's grave, cross my heart, hope to die, poke my eye. I don't know, the crazy stuff we come up with. Don't say that stuff. Just yes or no. If your yes is always yes and your no is always no, you don't have to say, I swear. Word of honor, word of honor. This is your word of honor? Yeah, what was your word before that? If you have to prop up some statements with word of honor, hand up, grandmama's grave, you know, what was all your other stuff, see? And so what Jesus is communicating there is something very specific in Matthew 5, and it's relevant to us. Okay. the Jewish religious leaders liked, liked to make oaths and vows, but they knew this was pretty binding. And so they wanted to find a way to get out of it. And so in their mind, what they would say is, if we swear, to, by, if we swear by God himself, and we break that vow, God's going to hold us accountable. But if we swear by something that's related to God, but it's not God himself, like if I swear by this piece of furniture in the sanctuary... If I swear by a tree, God created it, it's related, it's weighty enough for people to take me seriously, but if I break it, it was a tree that I swear by, not, not God himself. And that's why Jesus said, didn't God make the tree? Doesn't the furniture in the sanctuary belong to God? Anything you swear by, God is going to hold you to it, because everything is his. And so Jesus' point in Matthew 5 is not, you shall never make an oath, you should never take, uh, take an oath or make a vow. And we see in Acts 18, Paul makes an oath or he makes a vow. For what it's worth in Revelation 10, an angel takes an oath. You know, not that we necessarily take our cue from angels, but it is there. There's nothing inherently evil about vows. What's evil is making the vow and breaking it. And that's why making a rash vow is foolish. So Jesus doesn't turn it around. He's working against abuse. He wants our yes to be yes and our no to be no. And we do need to realize that in regular, the regular course of life, the more you have to use swearing or oath or hand or cross my heart or no, I'm really serious because every other time we're usually joking. You're constantly playing pranks on people. To many of you, it's funny. But after a while... Do people have a hard time trusting you? Does it take them a couple minutes to be like, Are you serious? You're like, No, I'm serious. Are you serious? No word of honor. So you have to pull out word of honor type stuff because you're always kidding around. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no and let your jokes be actually funny. (laughs) I just threw that one in there. But most of those things are only funny to you. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. That's Jesus' point. So Jesus isn't saying you can never make an oath, you can never make a vow. What he's saying is when you do it, treat it seriously and don't try to wiggle your way out of it because, well, I didn't swear by God's name. Yeah, you kind of did is what he's saying. You did. You're a follower of God. Everything he owns, everything is his, so you can't swear by anything without actually swearing by his name. And you profane his name when you take it lightly by in his name making a vow, making an oath, making a promise to him. And then not doing it. God doesn't do that, so you shouldn't do that. Easy principle, hard when we leave here and you see it hit the ground. We need to be truthful people in our conversation, in our lives. I do appreciate, uh, for instance, the Westminster Confession of Faith. If you ever pull that out and look at it, it's in the 22nd chapter. And by chapter, I don't mean like they're not that long. But I mean, we refer to them as chapters, but... These uh, pastors, theologians that got together to put this statement together saw that there's a place for oaths and vows in the Christian life, and the words that they use for it is in matters of weight and moment. In matters of weight and moment. So we shouldn't vow that I'm going to jewel. That, that just doesn't, why would you vow that? That's a light thing, right? But we can't be against vows because we do marriages Marriage vows, we do those. I hope you do those if you're married. I hope hope you did that. It's a good thing. Why? Because that's weighty. There, that's a moment right there. It's not wrong for a Christian to take an oath in court. I don't. I don't think that's wrong. I think sure they want that. Yes, I'm going to speak the truth. Okay. Is it a weighty matter? Is it important? Someone's life is on the line. This person is going to be in jail or not based on testimony. Yes, take the oath. It's weighty. It matters. It's important. And it's not rash. It's not flippant. You didn't just think of it in the moment. So my commendation to you is to not take vows lightly where it's a regular pattern in your life. Just do or don't do, yes or no. We don't need to heap things on top of us. What's really crazy, if you remember when we were in the book of Leviticus, we got through all of these laws. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, don't do that, do this. And then after all that, Moses like, by the way, when you take vows, you you can do this extra stuff. Why would you ever do extra stuff? You don't have to. But if you do, stick to it. If you promise the Lord that you're going to fast for seven days, I'm just making this up, but you, for whatever reason, you decided you're going to oath, you're going to vow to the Lord that you're going to not eat for the next seven days. Don't eat on day six. Fast the seven days. See? I mean, that's the, that's the principle that we're after. And you might realize, oops, that was a mistake. Seven days is too long. You learn your lesson. Thankfully, we aren't in the Old Testament where you'd be dragged and punished and all that kind of stuff. There was a way out. The way out was the sacrificial system we just saw in the past two chapters. Something has to die because you broke your vow. So God sees it as weighty. It doesn't matter how you grew up. It doesn't matter what your friends are like. It doesn't matter our current culture. If, no, lying, it's not really lying. Be a person of your word because God is a God of his word. Now oftentimes these vows will take the, the... form of an exchange. Many times when you see vows actually made, we don't have an example here, but when you look for examples in the Bible, what does a vow actually look like? It often looks like, God, if you give me this, I'll give you that. You you remember Hannah couldn't have a baby. Lord, if you give me a baby, I'll put him in service to you. And then she had a baby, and then she put the baby in service at the temple, right? That's the kind of rhythm that you see when vows are made. I don't think that's the only vow, but it's such a common vow, I do want to address it. The Bible doesn't tell us we have to do that. And I think we need to, we need to take advantage of that freedom. I think we need to be really careful when we pray, like, all right, Lord, if you do this, I'll do that. And the reason why we need to be careful is, A, you know, the next week God does it. Were you really ready to do that thing that you said? Our hearts are deceptive we don't understand ourselves enough to know whether we're actually going to carry through with pulling over let alone doing something weighty if you do this i'll go to the philippines as a missionary do you even know where the philippines is like what have you ever been there like we make these vows and they're rash because we haven't fully thought it out we haven't counted the cost but then god does the thing and then the the cost is there and now we're put in this position of breaking our word with the Lord when he never breaks his word with us. That's a problem. One way out of that is don't say that in the first place. The Bible never says make vows. For myself, I feel like I'm too dumb to make vows. I, I, don't, I don't know what would I even exchange. If you do this, I'll what? I feel like God's up there like what? You're going to what? I've lavished all these blessings on you. I've given you your, the, the promise of the ages in Jesus Christ. I've given you family, kids, like, what am I going to be like, but just this one more thing. So for me, I, I don't, I'm not in the practice of making vows, but I have to stop short of telling you you're not allowed to. I don't have a scripture verse for that. I only have scripture verses for saying, if you do it, be careful. Be careful. I kind of feel like it's in the, in the almost like the, the, the department of alcohol, I don't have a verse that says it's wrong to drink. I have a lot of verses that say, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. People die, people get addicted, families get hurt. So I can't tell you you can't do it, but I do have all the warnings. And with this particular thing, are you allowed to make a vow? Yes, I think so. But are we wise enough to make good ones? I don't know. I don't know. But you do have to be careful because you don't want to put yourself in a position to break your word against the Lord. The other caution I would have is not just to be patient and count the cost, but it shouldn't be presented in an or else mode. Hannah wasn't saying, if you give me a child, then I'll put him in service. But if you don't, I'm going to leave you. See, she didn't say that. And sometimes when I hear, I mean, I've Literally heard people say, I almost said Christians, but are you really a Christian if you pray like this? Lord, if you do this, I'll do that. But if you don't, I'm never talking to you again. Have you heard people talk like that? I have. It makes me go, do you even get it? God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you anything. If the cross is not satisfaction for you, you're not in. God is still this genie that you can barter with. You can get things out of him. If you give him this, he'll give you this house. Because the cross isn't enough. You need stuff. And if your heart is in that mode, I would say don't make the vow and revisit this relationship that you claim to have with the Lord. A Christian doesn't approach God with an or else. So as long as the vow has that out of it, I think you're in safer territory. And then the other thing I want you to keep in mind, if you do find yourself leaning toward making a vow... You can't offer the Lord something you're already bound to. Right? You can't say, Lord, if you do this for me, I will start reading my Bible. That's already commanded. That's why in the Pentateuch, vows are separate from the laws. Here's all the laws, here's what you have to do. If you, on your own accord, want to add extra to all those laws, then do those vows this way. But they're separate from the law. No one in the Old Testament would say, God, if you do this for me, Then I won't bow down to any idols. Dude, that's the Ten Commandments. You're already not supposed to bow down to idols. What do you mean if I give this to you, right? Hannah was saying, uh, I obey your law. You don't owe me a baby. And if I had a baby, there's no law that says I have to take that baby and dedicate it to the temple service. So this is an area where there's no obligation. It's just. Lord, if you grant me a baby, if you don't grant me a baby, I understand, but if you do, I'll do this with it. That, that's different than an or else, and that's different than if you grant me a baby, then I'll start showing up with the sacrifices. I'll start tithing my grain. No, Hannah's already doing that. Right? And so you don't barter with things that you're already supposed to be doing. God, if you do this for me, I'll start going to church. God, if you do this for me, I'll start loving my wife. If you change her, I'll start loving her. So you, no, love her because it's a command in the Bible. You can pray that God does these other things. But we don't vow something that we're already supposed to be doing. And probably most, if not all of us, have no business making vows because we're already not flowing in the things that we're supposed to be doing. I mean, if I, if I, if I asked you, if you came to me and said, should I make a vow and praying about this? And I just asked you something basic, like do you spend time with the Lord each day? Is there somebody in your life where there's bitterness and you haven't resolved it yet? Is there a habit that you haven't broken yet? A sin that you keep going back to, you haven't quite broken it yet? If there's an answer yes to any of those things, I'm like, give to the Lord what's already his before promising him extra stuff. We need to get serious about our lives, and that is a matter of truthfulness because we came into this Christian walk, that baptism, dedicating our lives. That old person that did things for himself or herself is dead. And someone else came out. And that someone else is a slave to God. That old person was a slave to sin and self. So we need to be flowing in the things that we already are supposed to be doing for the Lord before we have any business thinking about adding to it with extra things. So those would be my cautions. The principle is that God will hold you to your word because he holds himself to his word. Now I'm going to fly but I'm going to give you some categories. He's, the text is applying this now to a kind of person in the Old Testament who could get out of the vow. Everyone else cannot get out of a vow. <laughs> only a particular person was able to get out of the vow, and there's four classes of that particular person. And it whittles down pretty fast. Uh, only women are in this category. Men, it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your situation, you make a vow, you're held to it. This is, this is what Moses is laying out. And it's not for every woman as well. There's four categories of women, there's four kinds of women. We're going to see first the young unmarried woman who's still in her father's house, and that's verses 3 through 5. If a woman vows a vow to the Lord and binds herself by a pledge, while within her father's house in her youth, and her father hears of her vow and of her pledge by which she has bound herself and says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father opposes her on the day that he hears of it, no vow of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will forgive her because her father opposed her. So here's the breakdown. You have a young woman. She's still under her father's house. She's under the sort of authority canopy of her father. She makes a vow. The father hears it. He's like, oh my goodness, that's a dumb vow. She's going to be in trouble. She's not going to be able to keep that. She's going to, that's going to put a wedge between her and the Lord. Whatever reason, in his mind, this is not a good vow. He opposes it immediately. She's released. No sacrifice, no blood, no killing. God is just like, okay. He hears it and he's like, he doesn't say anything? Then he approves it. Can I just take a time out really quick and just step aside real quick? Parenting tip. When you see your kids doing something and you don't say anything about it, God sees it like you approving that because you're supposed to step up and say something. These girls are growing up under your house and you have the obligation to say stuff. If you don't, God holds you accountable to it. I think that's a principle we can extrapolate from this. What God is saying is she makes a vow, maybe it's a dumb vow. If the father says no, Forget it. It just dissipates. No sacrifice or anything. If he doesn't say anything, he's going to hold her to it. And if she breaks it, his fault. Why? Because he should have said something. This is why elders, to be elders, have to manage their household well first. And have faithful children to be an elder. See, the house feeds into the church. And so there's an expectation for the leader of the house to actually lead and so that doesn't mean that young women don't make any mistakes, but it does mean that their mistakes, in some ways, in some important ways, it's, it's on the leadership of the household. And that's a principle that I believe persists today. Then you have another category of a woman who takes an oath in that first position, but now she gets married, but the oath isn't finished yet. The dad approved it. But now she's married, the husband doesn't approve it. The new husband, her new husband, he doesn't approve it. It dissipates. And so we see that in verses 6 through 9. If she marries a husband while under her vows, or any thoughtless utterance of her lips, see, it's a dumb vow, by which she has bound herself, and her husband hears of it and says nothing to her on the day that he hears, then her vow shall stand and her pledges by which she has bound herself shall stand, but if on the day that her husband comes to hear of it, he opposes her, then he makes void her vow that was on her and the thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she bound herself, and the Lord will forgive her. But any vow of a widow or a divorced woman, here's another category, anything by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. Why? Because she's not on the roof of a father, and she's not under the roof of a husband. It's not like the Old Testament didn't have independent women. There are independent women. This is about women that have either through their father or through choice in marriage are in a dependent situation and one thing that distances us from this text culturally is our women aren't tending to marry in their early teens <laughs> there wasn't a big gap between college young career starting your thing head of a firm then have kids i mean it was like out of the house kids and there is some cultural distance between us and them there. But when a woman is under headship, that headship, that leadership, takes uh, the brunt and the weight of that vow. Uh, where did we leave off? <laughs> I'll pick up in verse 12. But if her husband makes them null and void on the day that he hears them, see, it has to be right away, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning her pledge of herself shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and the Lord will forgive her. Any vow and any binding oath to afflict herself, that doesn't mean like cutting herself. It just means, you know, I'm not, not going to eat for this many days or I'm not going to do this enjoyable thing, like a fasting kind of thing. Uh, her husband may establish or her husband may make void. Verse 14 But if her husband says nothing to her from the day to day, then he establishes all her vows. His saying nothing establishes her vows or all her pledges that are upon her. He has established them because he said nothing to her on the day that he heard of them. But if he makes them null and void after he has heard of them, then he shall bear his iniquity. He hears it. He ignores it. A few weeks later, he's like, you know what? Never mind. Breaks it. He bears the fault. He had to do it right away, or the vow stands. Why? Because God takes vows seriously. And he takes vows seriously, because he doesn't break his vows. These are the statutes that the Lord commanded Moses about a man and his wife and about a father and his daughter while, he, while she is in her youth within her father's house. Really quickly, you know, what occurred to me is this text they there. Wow, it's really going in on women. Is it, though? Because it's equally going in on dads and husbands. And so he's talking about the weightiness of the one vow that we do continue today in marriage. No one is telling you you have to marry that guy. There's no command in Scripture. Oh, I guess I should take that back. You might be like, no, there are people in my life telling me I have to marry this guy. Okay, you don't have a command from the Lord that you have to marry this guy. But if you do, that's your guy. <laughs> right, there, there still is this principle of nurturing and protection, Ephesians 5. The reason, the reason why the husband represents Christ to the, hu- to the wife as Christ to the church is because there is a care and protection that goes into what it means to be a husband. And so if you're going to marry a fella, can he lead you like that or do you just get along and like the same movies? See how that's a different question. We like the same movies. I love it. I eat the M&Ms and he eats the rest of the trail mix. We're a perfect match. Can he lead you Can he be, in a way, responsible for you? Or are you kind of responsible for him, picking up after him, making sure he goes to church? You're already on the wrong foot. That's a vow you make, and sometimes we do make those vows rashly. We base our marriage vows on too many movies, too many fairy tales, too many whatever is the opposite of my dad, or I want to marry my dad again, I want the the, the guy with the bike and the bad boy, and what is that? The, the, the slight edge of naughtiness that, that some, some girls like sometimes? What is that? See, the, we, we have mixed hearts. So this is why we need the counsel and the wisdom of our parents, hopefully our church, to weigh in on those kinds of vows. And I'm pointing to marriage for two reasons. One, because it's the most relevant vow that I think is in front of us today. And two, because this text is full of marriage stuff. I mean, back then it was the same. Do yourself a favor and approach the vows of marriage with a little bit of a lump in your throat, a level of seriousness that understands that this is a weighty matter. And the reason why God hates divorce is because it's a breaking of our word. And God doesn't break His word. Does God divorce His church? Does God divorce His people? See, He keeps His word. We need to keep our word. And we need to make sure we're not rushing into things. Even the things of weighty matter, matters of importance, we need to rush into them. The underlying principle here is that God wants us to be people. Where we keep our word, if we do decide to make a vow, we keep it. We keep it. That doesn't mean it won't be hard. But we're faithful to it. And a lot of the Work that goes into vow keeping goes in before we make the vow. If you think about the things that you're bringing before the Lord and you weigh them well, you'll have a better chance at keeping those things than if you rush into it and then you're scrambling to try to fix it. That applies to marriages and that applies to a lot of other things as well. If you're in a marriage and it's difficult right now, get the help you need. Get the help you need. But if you're not married yet, get that help on the front end on the front end. Not, I do, I do, yay, honeymoon, problems, need help. See, we can limit divorces in our culture and in our churches by doing better work on the front end. We don't understand dating. We don't understand what marriage really is. We rush into these things. We kind of have a cultural understanding of what they mean. And we make vows before the Lord, vows of weight and vows that reflect his truthfulness. We need grace to do it. None of us can keep our vows and keep our promises outside of his help, but he'll he'll do it. Let's ask him for that help and that wisdom. Fathers, the worship team comes back up here and we get ready to close in a song that reminds us of uh, your goodness and your promise-keeping, your trustfulness, your uh, trustworthiness, your truthfulness. God, we want to be like that. Um, Father, I, pray, I want to pray a special prayer for those of us who are stuck in really difficult marriages for whatever reason, for whatever reason. Maybe you know, both parties are to blame for one thing or the other, or maybe it's just a financial hardship, something they didn't see coming. Father, we thank you for your promise to give us grace, uh, to give us um, wisdom when we ask for it and to supply us with the strength that we need to live into godliness. And part of that is our commitment to our own vows. Father, I pray for those in here who aren't married yet. Maybe they're dating, maybe they wish they were dating, whatever the situation. We pray for wisdom. We pray for, uh, for you to expose ugly things now. They'll get exposed later anyway. Get things out now so they can be dealt with and, and handled with grace and care. Uh, so that vows can be made with wisdom and foresight. Help us to be a church that comes around our married couples uh, to pray for them and uplift them, encourage them, um, and for those who are, are seeking marriage as well. Lord, as we close in this song, may our attention not be in our ability to stick to our promises, but in your ability to stick to your promises, and we pray that that Kind of trustworthiness would trickle down to our hearts and that you would make us more and more conformed to Christ in that way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?